0: Hey there, you've tuned in to 19 North's podcast, a
1: young adults ministry part of Victory Family Church located in Cranberry Township, PA. You can check us out every Saturday night at 8.30. And if you missed everything I just said, just follow us on Instagram
0: at 19 underscore
1: North. Man, we're gonna continue to reach more people with the love of Jesus because the world is dying, the world is hurting, and we wanna reach more people with his love. So thank you guys so much for coming out. We have a special, special guest speaker. He's not a guest speaker, he's family. Um, Pastor John is gonna be speaking tonight. I asked him to come and just share what's on his heart about this generation, and I truly believe that you guys are gonna leave inspired and encouraged to to take that next step in, in your walk with God. and. Before Pastor John comes, I just want to say this. My life has been changed through Pastor John and Miss Michelle's ministry. And I'm crying, but I remember I was a 17-year-old boy sitting in the back corner, um, and I was lost. And I, I don't remember what Pastor John was speaking about, but I remember that's where God found me again. Because I was running away, and I was sitting in that back corner, and something just happened on the inside of me. That's, and God specifically said, Zach, I love you. And after that, man, I started to pursue God, but it was because of Pastor John's faithfulness and Miss Michelle that they started this church. They had nothing, and and hopefully he can expound on that a little bit. I'm not sure exactly what he's going to be speaking on, but man, Pastor John and Miss Michelle have a vision for this next generation. They want to reach this next generation with the love of God, and we're so on board. 19 North, are we not on board with the vision that Miss Michelle and Pastor John have? So Pastor John, why don't you come out, and we're excited to, to hear what you have. Everybody.
0: appreciate you: babe. Well hey, amen, so it is so good to be with you tonight. I want to just take a little bit and talk to you about purpose. How many of you realize God has a purpose for your life? Well he does and I want to talk to you about how to fulfill it. you know there are enemies to having a fulfilling purpose in your life and those enemies are, are the things that come to you and lie to you and tell you things about yourself and about God that are lies most people when the reason they they stumble in life, is they don't understand two simple truths. They don't understand how God sees them, and they sure don't understand how to see God. And what it results in is a brokenness in people. In fact, it results in people actually pushing away from God. So I don't know all of y'all's background, but I'm guessing some of you have a background where when you think of God and you think of him being close to you, you start to think of the messed up parts of your life and Man, if he gets real close to me, he might not like me. But the fact of it is, is that your purpose has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you are. In fact, your purpose has absolutely, oh, that's nice with that. Well, we have smoke coming while I talk. That, now, when I was in college, this used to happen, but it wasn't a machine producing this. But uh, you got if someone doesn't, can they if they don't mind, guys, because I have ADD and that'll just mess me up the whole night. Anybody add they see something and they just start. They... But uh, your purpose isn't found in your perfection. Your purpose isn't found in in, in the fact that you're a great person or you are or you do great things for God. Your purpose is found in the fact that God loves you and the fact that He that He formed you and and baked in you something. And yet, most people live and die and they never find it. In fact, most Christians live and die and never fulfill the reason they were put on the planet. You know, you're at a time in your life when what should be happening is you should be looking ahead and, and thinking, man, I have a whole life in front of me. But sometimes the world that we were given as kids steals that from us. You might be here and maybe you grew up in a home where your parents, and I'm not, I'm not putting down your folks, but they just didn't have a real good they didn't make good decisions. And it left you vulnerable. Maybe one of your parents left or abandoned you. Maybe because of that you were vulnerable and, and maybe, you know, things happened to you that shouldn't have. Things that were even maybe physically, verbally, or even sexually abusive. Those things can, can literally suck out of you any hope for a future. And so when you come to God and you come to Christ, if you're not careful what you try to do, Is to prove to God that you love him. The whole crux of Christianity is not proving anything to God. It's believing that God loves you. And until you get to the revelation that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Nothing. And so sometimes what people try to do is they earn a purpose or they're going to work into it. Or they're going to strive toward it. My hope tonight is to help you understand that baked in you is a divine purpose. That God, when he made the foundations of the earth, knew you. And life, as I said, can suck it out of you. Trauma can suck it out of you. Abuse can take it out of you. Bad decisions of your own life can take it out of you. But the amazing thing about the God that we serve is that he never looks at you in light of anything you've done. And by the way, not even the good you've done for him. God does not have a purpose for your life because you please him. The fact of it is the reason you'll get to please him is when you understand that he already has a purpose for your life. When you understand that he already loves you instead of earning it, you start to respond to that love. You know, when I was, uh, I, well, you know, people call it puppy love when you're, when, you're, when you're like, you know, maybe in eighth grade. You fall in love. And some of you maybe, you know, can remember eighth grade when you, oh man, I love that girl, I love that guy. And I remember there was this girl and she was so pretty. But she would not give me the time of day. And I remember, you know, trying to, you know, and this was, this was after the fact when you used to, I don't know if you guys did this in grade school when people would go with each other. Did they do that when you guys were young? Will you go with me and will you like me and you'd send a note? And they do that when y'all were young. They just did that back in the 1912s when I was a kid. Well, you know, I remember this girl, man, utterly rejected me. And I can remember thinking, man, what can I do to make this girl like me? You know what I found out? Nothing. There was not a thing in the world I could do about it. And what you ultimately do then is you accept the fact that this person doesn't want you, and you move on with your life. That's what many people do with God. They assume that God has rejected them. So it's impossible to fulfill your God-given purpose if you don't realize that God is, he's the one chasing you down. You're not chasing him. You know, there's a lot of times and people say things, and I know what they mean by it. Hey, we're God chasers, and that's good. But don't you ever think that God's running or that you have to go find him somewhere or he's hiding? If you're chasing anything, it's chasing the concept of believing the truth that God loves you just like you are. Now, that doesn't mean when God loves you just like you are that he affirms everything you ever do. In fact, it's just the opposite. When you love somebody, you want better for them than just the simple things that they may fall into in life. Most people live and they die and never fulfill their purpose. When I was in my, gosh, early 20s is when God began to really speak to my life about what he had for me to do for him. In fact, I was about 26 when... Right around 26, 27, when the room, the building you're sitting in, God spoke to me about it. In fact, Michelle and I had just gotten married, and uh before any of you in this room were born, boy, that makes me feel as old as dirt, but that's okay. Um uh, and we had we went to South Africa for our honeymoon. And that sounds really romantic, except it was in the Civil War at the time. And we were speaking in churches, and they were not real. It was a mess. We went to a movie theater one night. The next night, it was blown up. So, you know, it's probably not the ideal place to go on a honeymoon. So we were in South Africa, and, and, and both of us just newly married. And, and I go to this church. To, this pastor is going to take us to lunch, and he has this massive church, have about 25,000 people in it. And I was sick to my stomach having to meet this guy because he's, of course, important, and I don't want to meet this guy. Oh, my God, I felt sick in my stomach. And so we were at a, this little hotel and we don't have a car, we didn't have a car that we could rent, so we, we took a taxi. Now here's how insecure I was, a taxi driver was so drunk, and I'm not exaggerating, he's going 30, 40 miles an hour going up on sidewalks, he's that drunk, but I'm so insecure that I can't be late for this important man, I risk my life and my bride's wife life because what can we do, we can't be late. And I never, now that was before cell phones. You realize they didn't always exist. And so I remember we finally got there and he took us to lunch. And it was the worst lunch of my life. We finally get back to the church and he goes on his way and he asks if one of the staff, you want to see the church. And one of the staff members took us on a tour of the church and brought us into this auditorium that said about 5,500 people. And all we could do the whole time is maybe, maybe you'll understand this, maybe you won't. I'm sure there are some of you that do this. You apologize for yourself all the time. Someone says, hey, what do you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You guys want to go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know it doesn't matter, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They, you apologize, that's how you start your sentences. And that's how Michelle and I were talking. We're, no, 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 we're sorry, you don't. And finally they looked at us and said, it's no big deal, we're going to walk and look. So we did this and we go in this huge auditorium and I just, to be honest with you, I just can't wait to get out of there. While we're walking in there, Presence of God falls on me, and I know this like I know my name. He said, I'm going to use you to build something like this someday. I literally laughed out loud. I remember going, what a, that's crazy. I was so overwhelmed by it, I didn't even tell Michelle. And, and years later, in fact, it was almost 25 years to the month when the building was built over here that is very similar to the one I was standing in. But God doesn't give a purpose to people who have everything together. God gives a purpose to people, period. And there are so many things I could give you. We could be here till tomorrow morning and I could be giving you the obstacles. But I really want you to understand this. There are some simple things I want to help you understand if you want to fulfill a God-given purpose. A God-given purpose requires seasons in your life and these seasons are not simple they require you to trust god to do things that are not natural to other people and there are basically four of these seasons and i'm not going to have time to go into but really one and a half of them because the last two don't really apply to you because the last two are about what we would call the ownership season and the stewardship season and that's when you get older and and you and you become responsible for something that No one's paying you to be responsible for, no one's requiring it, but you do it because you're an owner and you're responsible to something greater than yourself, larger than yourself, and you don't do it for any other reason than because it matters to God and it matters to people. And the stewardship phase of life is, and I can tell you this, that maybe, maybe three out of 100 people ever get to this in life, and that's exaggerating it when you want to give everything away that you've learned as much as you can. It's when you want other people to succeed more than you ever have. It's when you find significance in your life rather than success important. And I hope that every one of you get to those seasons in your life. But there's a season that precedes those two, actually two. And for some of you, all of you, there's, you're, you're, you're in that first season. Whether you want to be or not, Whether you agree with me or not, it's kind of irrelevant. How many of you know if you disagree with God, it's irrelevant? If you look at God and you say, God, I have a different opinion, in a few years, you'll be dead. You'll look in front of him, you'll find out, I was wrong. So it's a good thing to find out that, you know, just trust that he's right now. But I want to talk to you about the first season. And it's called, in the Bible, the season of faithfulness. And this season... Is, is not something that you go, oh, I, that's a great one. Because this is a season where you build a foundation. This is a season where you plant seeds. This is a season where much of what you do is hidden underground. And it's, a, it's invisible to most, but not to God. What I know about the season is that it, it's longer than you think it is, it's, it's more important than you think it is, and it's a requirement no matter what you think. And how you handle this season is going to determine the outcome of you fulfilling your purpose. When people ignore the principles of the foundation of life, what they end up doing is going around the mountain again and again and again their whole life. And I know people still traveling and traversing that mountain, and they're in their 60s, because you don't get to bypass this season. It's like saying this, I'd love to have a garden but I don't really want to plant any seeds. The faithfulness season is when it, you literally, God builds in you a foundation that everything else can rest upon. Large buildings and tall buildings aren't determined by the architectural design to go as high as it wants to. They're, des, they're, they're, they're literally determined by the strength of the foundation. If you don't have a strong enough foundation, it doesn't matter how big you build the building. If this foundation isn't sufficient, I promise you over time it will begin to crack. and Ultimately, it will fall. The faithfulness season is when God builds in you your foundation. And what I want you to understand about it is this, is that most people never make it through this season. And let me tell you why. Because God's timing becomes too slow for us. We want it to be more. We want it to happen faster. People can disappoint you. Problems can discourage you, and it's so easy for that to happen in our lives. In your generation, it's even easier. Look, when I was younger, if you wanted to learn something, you actually would have to find an encyclopedia. You guys don't even know what those are, do you? That's like Google in a book, but not quite. And they used to sell encyclopedias and there'd be like 20 volumes and people would, they'd be this high and you would go to the encyclopedia and you would learn. And now, I mean, you guys can get Google. You could get information constantly. In fact, you can pick up your phone and ask your phone to find it. And Siri is so good to me. You can get directions. I mean, everything happens so fast. And the illusion is that you can develop faster. then then God says you can. You can't. And the, the, the season of faithfulness is when you have to decide whether you're going to be willing to stay in the places God called you to stay even when they're not comfortable. What happens in this season often is our dreams or our vision for our life or what we think we're called to do exceeds our faithfulness or our foundation or what we're actually able to do. And we do things like Moses did. And let me, he's a perfect example. When Moses was a young man, he was basically a prince of Egypt. And and somehow he knew God had called him to be a deliverer for his people. So Moses is out and he sees two Egyptian guys, or this Egyptian guy literally assaulting one of the Jewish people. And Moses, of course, knowing that he was a Jew, but he was actually being raised as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's house. Moses murders the Egyptian to protect the Jew. And finally, the guys, the Jewish people, come to him and said, Are you going to kill us as well? And Moses thought what he had done was in secret. And now he's terrified that he's going to be literally executed for killing an Egyptian to protect a Jew. And he literally disappears for 40 years. He goes into exile. Moses tried to take the call of God on his life into his own hands. Was Moses called to deliver the children of Israel? Absolutely. But he he did it out of timing. He tried to do it in his own timing. And it cost him 40 years of his life. For 40 years, he's on the backside of a desert, tending sheep. And the next time you see Moses in the Bible, life has beaten him down so, so desperately, he can't even talk. When God sends him to Pharaoh, Moses stutters so badly He said, God, I can't speak. And he gave him Aaron to speak for him. Most people don't realize that Moses was a stutterer, but he was. And I'm pretty persuaded that he didn't stutter when he was a prince in Egypt. I think 40 years on the backside of the desert messed him up. And when God finally called him on the backside of a desert, and he said, I'm sending you, you're going to deliver my people. Moses was like, no, you got the wrong guy. And yet God raised him up, but it took him 40 years to develop a foundation. God's timing wasn't good enough for Moses, and it's very often not good enough for us. So we try to initiate God's dream for our life in our own timing. You have to ask the question, can you live with God's clock instead of your own? The lessons of faithfulness are the same for everybody. I remember when God began to speak to my heart, about ministry. And I began to, and I knew that I was, I was working as a youth pastor in a church and a children's pastor. And I knew that I was called to start speaking in churches and the churches that would have me were little, little churches, 30, 40 people. And I remember going to a church one time and the pastor called me the night before and I'm traveling by the way. He calls me the night before and he said, uh, John, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, our, our church closed down tonight. We have about eight or nine families. They all called me and said they quit. So tomorrow, it, it would just, if we go to the, the little building that we're renting, which literally was a room, he said, it's just you and me. He said, so I, I, I wanted to let you know, you know, we're not going to do anything tomorrow. I said, no, 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 wait. I came all this way. I said, he said, well, I can't help you. I can't give you anything. I don't want anything. I said, you and me, we're going to go there. And he said, just us. I said, you and me. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to share my heart with you like I would if there were a thousand people in that room. Because you matter to God and you matter to me. And we went there. We worshiped God together. I sat him down and I poured everything in my heart toward him. And I didn't see him for years and years and years. Years later, he showed up here. And, he, and I, I didn't remember him by face. It had been many years. Our faces had changed. But he began to tell me, he said, he said, that day changed the way I saw God forever. He said, I, I was giving up, and everybody had given up on me. And, and you just, man, he said, you were speaking to me like you were in front of 10,000 people. How, why did you do that? Because I knew early on that people mattered to God. And I knew how he rescued my life. And no, no, it's not one person or five people or 50 people or 10,000 people. Every person is precious to God. In the season of faithfulness is when you find out your values. It's when you're not as concerned. It's when you learn where God begins to take away the ego and the stuff you need to make you feel good about yourself. And he he teaches you to be a servant. He teaches you to, to live beyond your own wants and needs. He teaches you to be sacrificial. But the younger you are, particularly in this culture, man, is it hard. Gosh, I look at Facebook sometimes and I think, I want all of their lives. I mean, I mean Facebook, it's great. You can edit everything. I've seen people on Facebook, I met them in person, and I go, who is that? You live in a generation that literally edits everything. They have trouble even communicating sometimes because they're used to texting. And not, nothing wrong with texting. But they can edit what they say. Now I realize if you're a really good friend, you just brrr But for the most part, when people text someone they're not really, really, really close to, they're editing what they say. They're making sure that you see me in the right light. And everything... Because Everybody and everything becomes a mirror for you. Everything. And so you present yourself in a way to get a reflection that makes you feel good about yourself. People present themselves on Facebook in ways that we know it's not real. And, and yet, I, I'm convinced that sometimes people become so good at it that they live in that illusion. But when life doesn't meet the illusion, they get Disappointed. My Facebook post would have said something like this. All four tires on my car are bald and I have no money. Take a selfie. <laughs> and on and on. I mean, I could, I could give you a line. Nobody would have, my post never, nobody would have went like. Now, if there would have been one that said, if there was a button that said pitiful, I would have gotten a lot of pitifuls time and time again, in that season of my life and with Michelle, God prompted our heart to do things that I would suggest to you that aren't common. Time and time again, and I don't mean once and I don't mean twice. In fact, I don't remember all the times it happened where God led us to give everything we had away over and over and over again to where I began to think God just really just didn't like me or something because every time we had a few little things, he'd say, give it away. And back then, I remember thinking when God would lead us to do things like that, in fact, I I would say to the Lord, I just talked to God like I talked to you. I said, Lord, and I told him about this family I knew at my church, and I knew they were pretty wealthy, and I knew they were good Christians. I said, God, why are you asking Michelle and I to give this? This couple, I know they'd obey you, and they'd never miss it. Why don't you ask them? You see, what I thought God was doing in those early days was just trying to, I don't know, ask me to do stuff. But what I didn't know, that every step of obedience was a seed. That when, I was, when, when we were pregnant with our first child and, and giving everything away again, and I don't have time to give you all the details, but it was time and time and time and time again. What I didn't know that seeds were being sown, that someday would grow into this. You see, when, when we were giving away to us, was every penny we had over and over and over again. I didn't understand that Jesus said, no one does something for me that they don't receive a full yield in this lifetime, a complete yielding of that gift, of that seed. And the most it was ever at one point in our life, we had accumulated in our ministry by living overseas and we had bought equipment, about $40,000 worth of equipment we had owned as a ministry and we were going to sell it to come back here and start the church. And Michelle came to me one day and she's pregnant with our our first child. And she said, honey, I just, it's wrong. I just know God doesn't want us to sell that. We're to leave everything here and give it to the missionaries. And we left everything there. We had monthly partners that supported our ministry, and between six and $7,000 a month would come into the ministry. That wasn't our salary. That paid for everything that was happening over there. And I was about to ask those people to help us for one more year to help us start this church. And God dealt with our hearts that, that I was to write those partners and tell them to stop supporting us and to support a missionary in our place. And I remember thinking... What are you doing to me? We don't have insurance. I don't have any money. We're flying back from Africa. She's eight months pregnant. You're telling us to start a church? We have nothing. And what we have, you keep making me give it away. And, and I'm being honest with you. I remember thinking, God, what? why are you doing this to me? What I didn't understand that you, there's nothing, nothing that you can replace faithfulness with. Because it teaches you to trust God. When everything in your senses is screaming, run. When everything in your senses is screaming, take care of you. But when you learn to serve, and when you learn to stay on God's clock. When we started this church, man, I didn't, I tell you, we didn't know what we were doing. I knew I knew the some of the Bible I knew how to minister God's word. That's all we knew. You know how we did worship in the beginning? CDs. Oh, that's not so bad. No, no, no. CDs of of like worship teams. Not like the tract, the CD. And it was, if you heard the songs, you'd be like, oh, that's pitiful. And then we would like switch from another CD to another. It was so bad. So bad that I think people just came late just so they didn't feel bad for us. It was horrible. And yet God breathed on it. And here we were, having given away thing over and over and over again, being found faithful. Because what I didn't know was those tens of thousands of dollars over when you add it all up would be, would be nothing compared to what we would need to do what God called us to do. So sometimes people see us today and they say, wow, you guys started this church 24 years ago and look what happened. And they think that what you're seeing today is a result of what we are trusting God for today. I'm telling you, you're seeing fruit that was sown 25, 6, 7, 8, 29 years ago. And so when people look at what God's done here, and, and, and I, the buildings are irrelevant, they're just simply a tool. But we knew God called us to to speak to your generation, and you weren't even born yet. And we knew that that we would need to build space for children and for young men and women and for young adults. But don't take this wrongly, but y'all don't pay for much. You're not in that season of your life, right? I mean, come on. I mean, most of you here aren't dropping, you know, $50,000 checks to go build stuff, right? Nor should you. So should we only serve people that can pay the bill? Or should we serve the people Jesus said to serve? So we made a decision early on that we were going to serve the next generation even though it would just cost even more. And now over 50% of this campus is for the next generation. And I believe God is preparing you to hear his voice for your generation. Let me tell you something he's not going to do. God's not going to tell me what he wants to do in your generation. It's not my generation. And I don't want to train you to be old people. Sometimes in church, that's what happens. Young people turn into old people. I don't want you acting like you're old. I want you to be you. And I want you to hear God's voice for your generation. And I want you to be able to sow your life in in the season of faithfulness, even when it doesn't feel right. Because the seeds are going to produce long, long down the road. And you can't sow those seeds in 20 years. You've got to sow them now. In the scripture, there's a man named Eli who was the high priest. And a young man, 14, 15 years old, named Samuel. Samuel was basically a servant. And Eli went to bed and Samuel went to bed. And Samuel heard a voice and he ran to Eli and he said, what do you want? And he said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. It happened a second time, happened a third time. This time, Eli said, Samuel, the next time that voice speaks to you, answer it and say, I'm here, Lord, I'm your servant. Because Eli realized God's talking to that boy. Now, here's the high priest, this man who had been in ministry for years. And God chooses a 14-year-old boy. And he said, let me tell you what I'm about to do in the earth. Why didn't he tell Eli? Because Eli was at the end. We believe in you. 19 North doesn't exist because we want you to have your own service because we just want you to have your own. We want you to have an environment where you can grow and develop in your leadership gifts and in your serving and in God's word because God has something for your generation. And there's so many of you in this room. You say, I don't think I'm called to ministry. That's irrelevant. But only God knows what if you could see 20 years down the road what some of you will be doing, if you'll stay faithful to God, you, you, it's unimaginable. When people meet me today and they see Michelle, who knew us when we were kids and knew us through high school, and my friends that knew me in college, without exception, all of them say to me, I can't believe, number one, I can't believe you're a pastor. I thought you'd be in prison. They can't believe that. But I had one guy right outside that hallway come up to me one day and he said, I know know this is a work of God. I said, well, yeah, me too. I said, how do you know? He said, man, I know you. He thought he was being insulting. I didn't disagree with him. But there's something about when God, when God shows up in a broken life, but in a faithful life. And when you step into that faithfulness season and you, and you satisfy it, you'll begin to step into what the Bible calls your giftedness. And that's when you begin to develop in your, in your late 20s, early 30s, through your 40s, early 40s. And you start to hit your stride for why you were put on the planet. I want every one of you to discover what that gift is. I want, but you won't do it apart from living and being faithful. Begin to ask God, what do, you have, what do you want from me? And I want to tell you what Samuel told, what Eli told Samuel. Just simply say what he told him to say. Lord, here's your servant. What do you want me to do? Don't give God your list. Don't tell him your rules of what you have to have. Lord, I won't, I'm, not gonna, well, I'm not doing that unless I get my whatever. All I can tell you is that 20 years from now, you'll be running around the same mountain. Nothing's perfect. No person's perfect. But whatever God's put in your heart to do today, do it with all your heart. Serve with all your heart. Even when it's difficult. Even when it's, no one's appreciating you. Be faithful. Because at the end of the day, someday you're going to be 57 like I am. Am I 56? I'm 56, man. In October, I'll be 57. Hey man, I have like a few weeks. I'll be 56 as long as I need to be. And I look at what God's done and I can't believe we're sitting on a $30 million campus. I'm a steelworkers' kid. Michelle grew up poor, abandoned by her dad and has nothing to do with the money. I'm just telling you that when God wants to do something in someone's life, if they will be faithful and they'll follow his plan and begin to yield to the gifts of God in them, He'll take you places you never dreamed possible. So I want to pray for you tonight. As, as whoever come, Who's coming up after you? Zach? Pastor, is Zach coming up after this or someone else? Pardon me? Oh, Christian, you'll be coming up in a minute. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want, I want so desperately, Michelle and I, want to see God do great things in your life. But before we go any further, I want to make sure every one of you know God. And I don't mean religion or a game, but you've made Christ the Lord of your life. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as the Lord of your life, if you were to die right now, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. I want to be sure that you know that. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you don't know Christ, i didn't ask if you know religion, do you know Jesus? Have you ever invited them into your life? If you're not sure or you haven't done that or you're far from God, I want to pray for you. I'll do it right where you're seated. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You say, please include me in that prayer. Would you just right now lift your hand and I'll pray for you right where you're seated. I just want to make sure every one of you have had the opportunity to know God in this room. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, Thank you. Pray this out loud and we're going to pray it together with you. Christ, come into your heart. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Pray it where you hear it, and we'll pray it with you. Say, Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you tonight. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Thank you for making me brand new, and my sin is washed away. I proclaim you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for the plan you have for my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them a hand. What a great decision you made tonight. Hey, Michelle and I love you all so much. We're so, so thankful what God's doing in your life. We're believing he has amazing and great things for you. Hey, and if you get a chance, come back tomorrow. at, at well, I'll say the 11 o'clock service game. None of you showing up at nine. Because uh, Sierra, Sierra's in here, isn't she? She sings tomorrow and we're Sianna and Sianna's dancing and they're, and, and well, we already did the song, so I'm allowed to tell you what it is. It's chandelier. That's what it is. Dude, it's incredible. Just come back and you say, well, I can't make it. Well, at least wake up enough time to, to go online and watch it live, okay? It won't be the same, but it's okay. But I know ain't none of you are showing up at 9 o'clock, okay? But anyway, hey, we love you so much. We're so, so grateful for what Zach's doing here and Ellie and all the team. You guys are incredible people. Amen. God bless you. Thanks, honey.